This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon, and uh, I'm having uh, a guest today, Dana Colbert, who has been the Hamilton County Democratic Chair since 2021, and you are now preparing to take on a new set of duties as the Executive Director for the Democratic Party statewide. So, Dana Colbert, uh, welcome back to my podcast. Yeah, thanks, Larry, for having me. Good to have you back. And I always like to to talk when changes are afoot, and you have some changes here. So that's what I would like to talk about. First, I want to start off with back in 2021, I think shortly after you became chair, I did the podcast Mm -hmm. with you on, we had to do it on Zoom. Yes. In those (laughs) days, we didn't have a choice, did we? But uh, when you took over the job, I mean, it's uh, Hamilton County is not known as a Democratic stronghold. I think you know that. Uh, so you had some challenges as you started that, as any Democrat chair would in Hamilton County. Mm-hmm. So I suspect you had a few goals in mind when you started. What were those goals and how did they go during your tenure? Yep. So we had a few goals, like you said, stepping into the role, you know, Democrats had started to pick up some wins and from 2018 with Senator J.D. Ford, Rachna Grulock in Fall Creek Township, and then 2019 with Miles Nelson, Jocelyn Vare, and Sam DeLong, now with Crystal Newman. Um, so that was one of the key things, is making sure that we could continue to support those elected officials and really continue on the gains that we had seen building. So one of my top priorities was recruiting quality candidates that we could be proud to vote for. And I think since stepping in in 2021, we can see that progress continuing to go on. 2022, we had some incredible candidates. Obviously, Representative Wilburn did get elected. Um, Wonderful candidate. She is really out there talking to constituents. We had Matt McNally come in and came very close in 2022 after getting caucused in. Um, So that was an incredible um, campaign to see, and he's going to run again. And then in 2023, we had a historic number of candidates on the ballot. We had 20 candidates across the county, eight each in Carmel and Fishers, and then two in Westfield, one in Noblesville, and one up in Atlanta, actually. So we had, you know, we've been recruiting quality candidates that people can be proud to vote for. That was one of the things that I wanted to set out that also helps people feel like they're not alone and that their vote matters. So that was one of the big things. Also, as I said, supporting our candidates, building toolkits, building resources, giving them trainings and those types of things so that they could really run a well-executed campaign. And I think we've been able to accomplish that as well. And and just to give people a little context, I have lived in Fishers since 1991. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. I can recall at least one, maybe two instances where in the days we were a town, they called the election off because no Democrats ran. Mm-hmm. And there were some town council elections where one Democrat ran when there were seven seats uh, available. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're basically starting from scratch when you're you're working with with Democrats here, and you've noticed that you number one you've recruited candidates, put them on the ballot, and you've had some wins and, and losses. But uh, I have to say, I think one of the keys that I heard you say a moment ago, and I've heard Democrats in this county say, and, and I, you point to this as one of your accomplishments, is just the ability, number one, to recruit candidates, and number two, to recruit candidates who are serious about running or willing to do what you need to do to be a viable candidate. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That is something that we heard from you know, our precinct chairs. We heard from other folks who were involved in 
really wanting to give them the option to be proud of who's going to represent their city or their state. Um, voters, I think we saw, especially in this last election, that voters really want those choices. They want options of qualified candidates and qualified people to lead because we had some very small margins in some of our losses across the county. So I think, and also with that, we did see the highest voter turnout in a municipal election in at least 20 years, um, which is still low in general, right? But I think we, we doubled the amount, essentially, we doubled the amount of voters who turned out. And in Carmel, we had huge voter turnout. So I think looking at that and seeing that we had voters excited and eager for a choice and an option really points to getting those qualified candidates who are out and talking to voters and really understanding them. It just points to that's that's what voters want. I always said if we had our municipal elections in the same year we had presidential elections, <laughs> we'd have a bigger turnout. Right. And it is hard to get people to turn out for their local elections. One thing I did observe uh, in the, the election results this time, and it's been a trend, is that even when Democrats lose, the, the margins are extremely small. Mm -hmm. uh, you did lose – two of the incumbents did lose in the last uh, Fisher's election, uh, Jocelyn Vare and, and Crystal Newman. But those were very close elections right. and uh, could have really gone either way. And you did elect one uh, Democrat, Bill Stewart mm – -hmm. Who uh, is is uh, is going to take? Is just uh, I was at a swearing-in ceremony just uh, the other day, and he had his swearing-in with the rest of, of the council and the mayor and so forth. People who are going to be taking office January one here in Fishers for another four-year term. But uh, I guess I would ask you, with all that in mind, how would you evaluate uh, the Democrats' performance here in the Fishers election? I'd say we, obviously, you know, we wanted it to turn out a little bit differently, but I think that we put up a really strong showing. Um, you know, we had those very small margins. I think Crystal lost by 42 votes. That's a neighborhood. We just needed a neighborhood to turn out, right? Jocelyn lost by about 240 votes, I believe. That's three or four neighborhoods, right? We are showing that we are, we are very close, and I think we accomplished a lot of what we wanted to do in just talking to our neighbors and listening to them. The one thing that I noticed is that the, you know, we're, we're, I guess one measure you can use about how uh, viable your candidates are is that they were subjected to some pretty serious negative ads. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem there, and, and had he, having studied politics years ago and tried to stay – up with with that general trend is that when you are attacked, you really have to respond. And sometimes you just don't have the campaign money to respond. And mm -hmm. that, that can be a problem. Yes. Yes. We, uh, we do tend to raise less money than the Republicans. Um, so we have to get creative in how we respond. And one of our key ways to do that is talking to the voters. You know, obviously that's not going to get the message out as quickly, but it does humanize us and really give us the ability to counter those messages one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that even though I, I'm, I kind of focus on Fishers with my podcast and with my blog, uh, news blog, I, I still think what happens in Hamilton County has an impact on what happens here. So as you look at all of Hamilton County and these are municipal elections, mm -hmm. uh, how would you overall talk uh, 
not talk about, but evaluate how Democrats did. You mentioned Atlanta. For those who have never been to Atlanta, that's about the smallest small town you'll, you'll find in Indiana with any kind of government. And my wife used to uh, go up there for a restaurant that's since closed, and we used to go up there all the time. It's a quaint little city. So uh, the fact that you were running in the large cities – Carmel, Noblesville, Fishers, Westfield, and you're also running in places like Atlanta. That does say something. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think one thing that we saw since 2018 is that we have achieved 40% or more of the vote consistently. Before 2018, that was not something that we were doing in the county. So we've been able to be consistent in that even after all of the districts got redrawn and oftentimes redrawn not in our favor. So being able to continue to do that, I think that shows that Hamilton County is actually purple. We just have folks who aren't turning out as much. And I think that's one of the big overall obstacles for us. So you're saying turnout is your biggest challenge going forward here in this county, you think? I think it's it's a large challenge for sure. I think we can point to Carmel and Fishers in previous elections, you know, with Destiny Wells, she won both of those cities. Um, Joe Biden won both of those cities as well. So I think that there is, it shows that we are purple in at least some of these larger, broader issues. And really, it's just turning out and making sure that voters know that they have a choice. Well, I, I, we'll talk more about this, but you have been the county chair since 2021. You're going on to a new job very soon. There will be a, a caucus that will decide your successor. Uh, Jocelyn Ver announced on one of my podcasts just the other day, she plans to be a candidate to replace you. So I guess the first question I would ask is, are you backing anyone? I am waiting to see who all is running, right? Jocelyn is one person who's announced that she is interested in it. Um, there might be more folks. I have learned through this role to be cautious and see who is running before making a decision. Okay, so you're still not even – have any other candidates – I have not seen anybody else come forward and say they're running. Has anybody indicated to you they plan to run? I've had some discussions with some folks who are interested. Um, I don't think that a lot of folks are ready to make that decision until we do actually set the election, which we have not said yet. I was going to say that uh, who will take who will be doing the job in the in the interim? I assume it'll be Ronnie Sanders. Yes. So my plan is I want this to be as seamless a transition as possible. So exploring how soon between officially resigning and having the vacancy and holding the election. I think we can have it on the same day. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> we are double-checking and making sure that I am understanding our party rules accurately. Um, but I want to make it as seamless a transition as possible. So at that time, technically, Ronnie Saunders, our vice chair, will uh, oversee that election. He will execute all the duties that need to occur until the chair is elected. Now, but do you have any idea how long it'll take to get that together? Or are you still... Plan, you have no idea, timeline-wise, how long it's going to take to get that caucus put together. Right. We, we are trying to figure out what makes the most sense for the county, um, as well as, you know, for the executive director position. Just we're going in the holiday season. Our precinct chairs are distracted, so we don't want to, you know, schedule something and then them forget. Um, and just making sure there's a lot of folks who are involved in this. So just making sure that everyone is aware and has enough time to process things. Well, sometimes, uh, well, I would say most of the time, this goes for both parties, when you have a caucus, uh, you generally have it in private. Uh, you, I assume this will be a private caucus. Correct. Uh, usually, uh, 
Well, I know the Republican Party has always told me in advance where it will be so I can hang out outside. <laughs> will you Will you be announcing where and when it will be publicly? I, I think we'll plan to, yes. Okay. Very good. That's what newsies like to know. It's, just, it's one for the news reporters. Uh, as you leave the post uh, here in Hamilton County, you're um, um, you're going to be taking on a job at the state level. Mm-hmm. A little bit. It's a completely different look and and, and outlook for you. Um, and being the executive director for the Indiana State Democratic Party, the uh, state party chair is Mike Schmuel. Mm-hmm. I've not met him, but I know he is a protege of, of Pete <laughs> Buttigieg. He and Pete, the current uh, transportation secretary, who ran for president mm-hmm. in the past, that uh, you know he's uh, he's been closely aligned with him politically for a long time. Uh, I. And he was also, of course, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, no small thing. So uh, I'm just curious, uh, what drew you to this job to work for Mike Schmuel? Um, So I've been involved since 2017 politically and really learned a lot. I've learned that this is one of the things that I'm very passionate about, which is actually kind of surprising to me because it's not something that I had planned to do um, prior to, you know, seeing kind of the direction of the country after the 2016 election. So this was something that had never really occurred to me until then. And so, like I said, I've been involved since 2017, really learned a lot, really realized that this is something that I'm passionate about and wanting to continue to make our state a better place. So this was just kind of a natural fit for me. Well, that's it. I want to explore that because you're saying the 2016 election (laughs) is what made you a political activist. Mm -hmm. Talk more about that. Yep. So going to age my mom a little bit. Sorry, mom. Um, But watching the rhetoric, honestly, with Trump going on in that 2016 election and seeing some of the things that he was talking about potentially doing, realizing that my mom was a teenager during the civil rights era um, and I am a black woman and just kind of seeing the rhetoric, knowing what occurred during her lifetime, even though she wasn't directly involved, really made me take a step back and think, wow, Something here might change, something we might take a step back. And if that's something that's on the horizon, I'm going to try and do what I can to stop it. So I tried to figure out what made sense for me to get involved. And I realized that at the local level is where I can make the most change. And helping out internally with the party is where a lot of my skills lie. So that's that's why I got involved. And I want to ask you about that, too, because I've been preaching this for a long time. It doesn't matter what you're political views or affiliation might be. I've always told people that, you know, running for Congress or the Senate or working for the National Party, it's all fine. But if you really want to make a difference now, do something locally. Mm -hmm. And you saw that early on, didn't you? Yes, yes. Um, Contrary to maybe popular belief, I do not have Joe Biden's number. (laughs) (laughs) But getting involved locally is where you can make the most change. You know, our neighbors are city councilors. We can, they are actually actively out there wanting to hear from us. Is there a pothole in your neighborhood? You know, do we need sidewalks repaired? A lot of times at the Fisher City Council, we hear about streetlights or right-of-ways and when they're building new developments, being concerned about the traffic. I know a lot of folks across the county are concerned about 116th Street. I can't imagine traffic. why. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Anybody who drives it can tell you that. Exactly. And you're you're driving down 116th Street likely almost every day, as opposed to some of the things that are going on nationally that aren't going to directly impact your life on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I, I, that's why I do what I do as a volunteer, because people don't understand what 
city and sometimes county government, township government, even mm-hmm. sometimes can do that will impact your life much more directly and immediately than something that might happen uh, nationally. And I'm not saying it's not important, but uh, don't you know don't don't downplay what's happening locally. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that that's how you chose to uh, to get involved politically. I don't think I have to tell you this. In Indiana, Democrats do have some major challenges in 2024. You've got a governor's race, a U.S. Senate race. Uh, of course, all the congressional seats are up, number of legislative contests. I'm sure I missed a few, but that's most of them. I guess the question I would ask you is in, the, in your position as executive director to the state chair, what will your involvement be in all this? Uh, so I have not yet stepped into the role. I will be stepping into the role and taking over in January. So there's still a lot that I'm going to be learning. But I know that it will be helping to support those candidates. Um, I think we will be getting them resources, um, helping spread the word about them, those types of things. So, yeah, I would have to say your job is really to support the, the state chair and, and try to implement what he or she might be doing. It's be a he in your case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would have to think that would be. But as you look at those races, what do Democrats have to think about as, as uh, you approach 2024, a very busy political year at the state level? Mm-hmm. I think some of the things that we've talked about already, one is making sure that voters know about what's going on locally, you know, in our state. We, I think we touched on it when I was on your podcast before, we have a very large news desert in this state for local news. What you're doing is great in getting the news out to folks, but not every community has Alarian Fishers, right? So making sure that our voters know there's a gubernatorial race, there's an attorney general's race. We have a bunch of legislative races up. That's going to be one of the things that's going to help. And I think the other thing, like we just talked about, is quality options. You know, we saw it in Hamilton County. I think we saw it around the state in a variety of different communities that voters are looking for choices and making sure that they know that they have choices, they have qualified choices for folks who are going to fight for them and folks that they can be proud to vote for or not just voting against something that they don't like. I think that's going to be key. You know, the news desert issue is interesting because I still think at the local level things are in bad shape. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the state level, we've had a a kind of a resurgence of media. We've got Capital Chronicle, a nonprofit. We have uh, Indy Mirror, a new Mm -hmm. nonprofit. A lot of former Indy Star people are there. Uh, State Affairs is another one. I know some good journalists who are working on that operation, which is uh, one of those uh, where you have to pay for a, uh, to, for most of the content uh, and so forth. So there are many different business models out there. So I think at the state level, how do you plan on, on making sure you get your uh, arguments uh, uh, communicated to all these statewide uh, operations that have just blossomed in recent time? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's kind of a similar approach to what we've done locally. I know that our communications director, um, Sam Barloga, has connected with these variety of journalists at these uh, various outlets. So really making sure that we have those connections and keeping that dialogue going is going to help get the news out about our statewide candidates. And uh, Sam Barloga has found me. I do hear (laughs) from that uh, Sam Barloga quite a bit. I've heard it said from many Democrats over the years that, you know, Democrats do not need to raise as much campaign money as Republicans. They just have to be competitive 
when you're looking for campaign cash. Uh, it's been a challenge mm-hmm. for Democrats in recent years. The numbers tell you that. So what do you think the state party needs to do? You'll be instrumental in trying to find a strategy for that uh, How would you approach that issue? I think we can do a lot with a little. (laughs) Um, So, yes, I think you can even look at Hamilton County, for an example, um, just looking alone at candidates and the Republican, Hamilton County Republican Party donating to their state party, just did a super quick look. There was about $300,000 that went to their state party from our candidates or the Republican Party here just in Hamilton County alone. And we're going to assume that was for their get-out-the-vote operation. Um, There's a chance that a lot of that was for their mailers. I Um, saw some of those mailers in this. They were paid for by the state party. Exactly. And let's let's make that assumption that we did not have that budget, right? Um, But look at how close a lot of our elections were is because we were going out and talking to folks. And when mailers did go out, they were few, they were precise, though. And they got the point across, and they weren't attacking any one person. They were just communicating facts. So I think that, you know, we might be outraised. There's a good chance we're going to be outraised. But seeing what we can do with the resources that we have and figuring out how to pivot and use volunteers and our own, you know, retail politics boots on the ground to get our um, get our candidates out and get them aware is going to be one of the really good ways that we can do a lot with a little. So stretching the dollar is, your, is yes. going to be what you're going to So you really, I guess the other thing I, I would ask, and I think that this goes back a few years, and, and I'm, I want to put campaign money kind of into this question I plan to ask, because Democrats have had a tough time statewide since the days of Evan Bayh mm-hmm. and, and Frank O'Bannon, because they each had two terms. Mm-hmm. You know, sadly, uh, Governor O'Bannon died late in the second term, but yet they got two terms, elected to two terms. And I think their ability to fundraise was part of that. They were pretty good at that. What do Democrats need to do to get back into the game as people like Evan Bay and Frank O'Bannon did? I think, and this is just a local example. Um, Again, once I step into the role, I think I'll have more context for this. But locally, I know that a lot of our Democrats are kind of shy on asking for money, asking your friends and family. So I think just flexing that muscle of asking for donations because we are doing something or we're trying to make our state a better place and saying, hey, this is specifically what these funds are going to go for. Well, you know, if you take a look at Bill Stewart's uh, (laughs) campaign finance report, he found places to get campaign donations. So Mm -hmm. he wasn't afraid to ask, and he he did get a few. And I think that says something there. When it comes to campaign issues in 2024, I know you haven't taken the job yet, but you obviously follow this closely, and Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be taking this job if you were following all these things. What do you anticipate statewide the campaign issues will be for Democrats in Indiana in 2024? I think it's providing for Hoosier families. That's going to be the overarching theme. Um, That's something that we've been pushing for a while is providing for and listening to Hoosier families. You know, a lot of things that we've kind of seen coming out aren't necessarily protecting Hoosier families. We have this abortion ban now, which also has an economic impact on families. If you can or cannot get an abortion, sometimes that 
that can have a severe economic impact on your family. It's one of those things. Um, we just saw in the news that Medicaid is underfunded by a billion dollars. Um, those types of things that we are paying attention to, K through 12 education, education, education is going to be a big thing. So it boils down to protecting and serving Hoosier families. You know, it's funny, before the Dobbs decision came down, I was talking to a local Republican mm-hmm. uh, official saying that uh, most Republican campaign people were scared to death of what was going to happen with that abortion decision. When the mm-hmm. Dobbs decision came down, well, of course, it was leaked. Mm-hmm. and We actually got the official opinion. Uh, it, it's been a tough go. Democrats have used that because the Republican Party – used to have a few people have with different views on abortion years ago, but Republicans have kind of been lockstep in on this issue. And Democrats, have, it's almost like each party has taken a very firm position on mm-hmm. the abortion issue. Do you feel that will be to your advantage as you look at 2024? I think it is just one thing that voters are going to be paying attention to. Um, one thing that we'll be talking about um, across a variety of things that impact Hoosier families. You know, I, another thing I've, I've seen, and I've been looking at some of this data that, that's been coming out, I'm sure you've seen it too, is that if you look at Indiana, the metropolitan areas are doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis area, even Evansville, Fort Wayne, that area up near Chicago, Merrillville, Gary, they are actually doing fairly well economically. Yet, if you look at the rural areas, they're number one losing industry just losing jobs and they're losing population at a very rapid rate. Uh, I know at least one Republican candidate has made that his issue for governor, Mm -hmm. that he wants to build up the rural areas. And Democrats have had a little tougher time in some of these rural areas in recent years. How do you think Democrats can reach out to people in the rural areas of Indiana and make them feel like uh, you are with them, let's say, that you are that Democrats have something to say to them? I think the first step is listening to their concerns. And one of the most effective ways that we do that is going out and knocking on their doors. Now, rural areas, it's a little bit more difficult to get door to door, right? Um, So, but just making sure that we can listen to them. So, phone banking, holding town halls, those types of things. Yes, it's it's less uh, wear on your shoes than your car (laughs) if you're going out to a rural area. My My parents grew up in a rural area in Mm -hmm. southwest Indiana, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, So, Dana, anything uh, you would like to add that I didn't think to ask? Um, I think just one thing that I tend to want to make sure that, you know, your listeners and just general public knows. If you care about your community, that is the biggest thing that we need in politics. Um, As I mentioned, I did not have a background in politics prior to 2016. I learned while I was doing this. You don't have to have a background in politics to get involved, just caring about your community. And you don't have to be a candidate. Obviously, we are looking for candidates, but you don't have to be a candidate. You can support behind the scenes. We have a variety of ways for you to get involved. Well, I must say that you know, covering the Fisher City Council, let's say the last four years, where two Democrats for the first time were on the, the council, either whether it's town or city here in Fishers, what I found is that, yeah, there were some disagreements on some things, which you would expect. Mm. But what impressed me more was how much agreement there was, that there are a lot of projects that, and I think it said a lot to the community when the Democrats were on board Mm. with the project and were in favor of it, as well as the Republican majority, that that 
gave the community a signal that this is a pretty good idea. So uh, there's no, even though you may not have a majority on a council, you can send very important signals, wh- whichever party you may be in the in the minority. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's a lot more agreement on on things than we might think. But uh, obviously, your job is to point out uh, what what Democrats think. Dana Colbert, uh, for, since 2021, the Hamilton County Democratic Chair, mo- preparing to move on to be the executive director for the statewide party in 2024. And we'll wait and see who your successor will be. Dana, thanks again for your time. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for all that you do to make sure that the residents know what's going on in the city. You're kind. Thank you.